0: Welcome to the 7 Days to Amazing podcast where you learn how to make your life, business and style even more amazing in the next week. Now your host, Sharon Haver of focusonstyle.com.
1: Hello, chicsters. I am Sharon Haver and you are really about to be amazed. Today's episode of 7 Days to Amazing features a very special guest. Joan Juliet Buck is an American novelist, critic, essayist, and editor. She's the only child of a larger-than-life film producer and was born into a world of make-believe. Her childhood was a whirlwind of famous faces, John Huston, Peter O'Toole, Lauren Bacall, Federico Fellini, and many more. She served as the editor-in-chief of Vogue Paris from 1994 to 2001, where she was the first and only American woman Ever to fill the coveted position. She reshaped the magazine and increased its circulation. Joan Juliet Buck quickly became a force in the cult of fashion and beauty. Until she was abruptly dismissed as the editor in chief of Vogue Paris at the start of Fashion Week, to boot. She was sent off to rehab by her boss for non existent drug problem. Going to rehab was just part of her severance package. While a contributing editor at Vogue, Vanity Fair, Traveler, and The New Yorker, she wrote two novels The Only Place to Be and Daughter of the Swan. Currently, Joan Juliet Buck's essays appear in Harper's Bazaar. She has been seen on screen in Julie and Julia and on television in Supergirl. Her latest book is The Price of Illusion, a memoir, an amazing account of six decades spent in the creative heart of London, New York, Los Angeles, Milan, Paris, and more. The book chronicles the fantastic illusions of glamour and luxury and the cost of sustaining them. Welcome, Joan Juliet. Buck, I am thrilled to have you here with us today. Hello. <laughs> Hello, and thank you for joining us with your cold. Joan was just saying that she's not feeling on top of things today, but I'm sure that Joan's Not Top of Things is everyone else's own little genius. Joan, you really are such an icon in, in fashion and in style, and and just your story goes through so many different ways of reinvention that I think that the audience today is gonna to get so much out of it. But one of the things I wanna I wanna start with before we go into your really exciting life is what I was telling you before we started was There's a photo of you, I believe in everyone's iconic moments, and we all have like little snippets of fashion that we sort of subconsciously, if you're not a fashion person, it may be subconscious. If you are kind of thinking of yourself as a fashion person, they're they're usually pretty clear of style moments and of icons that... Just we identify with, we gravitate to, and they stick with us either from a childhood or from last week. It could be of someone famous, it could be of your mother, of an aunt, whatever. But there's these iconic moments in style. And one of the pictures was you with these with your harem pants that always sticks with me. And what I was telling you before we started was I was at a Solomon sample sale and there were what I thought were those pants, or at least pants that reminded me of them. And they were actually they were kind of clearing out from the old old school to the new school of the house. And I'm like, well, those are the pants. I'm going to try them. I, and I tried them on in the dressing room. You know, sometimes I always think, especially when things are on sale, that they look better than they really are. And then I got them home. <laughs> I, you know, and I, I just, no matter what I did with them, I always looked like a balloon. Like I just couldn't pull them off like yeah. you did. And I ended up giving them to my old assistant and his boyfriend ended up getting rid of them. So who knows where my pants are, but you were telling me a story about your pants. So tell me what am my,
0: Iconic well, moments, of those. Pants, yeah. I've I, yeah. I've. It's funny because I've always been stuck on harem pants, and um, which are and and Eve Saint Laurent makes have always made a kind of very unflattering version, which is the zouave pant. The zouave mm-hmm. being the French soldier with that very odd uniform of the ballooning pants. And whenever Yves Saint Laurent makes them, they balloon. However, I've been obsessed with harem pants since childhood, let's say. And when I went to Istanbul for Traveler, for Condé Nast Traveler in 2008, um, a Turkish friend took me to a big mall called the Istinye Mall. And I think I was looking for sunglasses or something. I wasn't looking for harem pants. And in this big boutique called New N-U, there were these trousers hanging that were, and this is the interesting thing, they were very, there was a lot of fabric at the part that you call below the knee, Mm -hmm. they were sort of, you know, like silky jersey, not silk, but silky jersey, but with an enormous amount of fabric between the knee and the calf. And I looked at them hanging up, and I thought, no, that's impossible. I can't wear them. My Turkish friend said, try them on. I now have 18 pairs of these. (laughs) I've been wearing them for nine years. Friends sometimes tease me. Not everybody gets them. I have them dry cleaned. I rotate them. Some years I don't wear them at all. They are my favorite garment, and (laughs) you got it.
1: And that that just goes to... Proof, you know, I had the designer version, and I I was inspired by yours. And the ones that work are the ones that you got in a, uh, you know, in a, in Istanbul, in a, a in Istanbul. A, a,
0: but, yeah. but but she's a cool designer. She apparently you knew whoever this woman is. She's obviously not called New. Used to work for Armani. Uh huh. so and they,
1: she yeah, knows
0: how to drape. Drape. And these things drape, and they fall, so they're. They're slim around the waist and the hips, and then they get very big under the knee. And they're fantastic. They're the best cut pants I've ever had. And as I said, my friends tease me oh, no, not the harem pants again. I wear them for day, for travel. I wear them as evening clothes. And they work. <laughs> and I have 18 and, pairs. And, yeah. and
1: they work, and they're a statement piece, and they're timeless, and they're you. And it's just I think that's something that's so important. To style, especially if it's someone who doesn't really—they're they're kind of a little fashion phobic. They don't really feel they have a whole lot of style. It's right. like they see what's in the magazines, and, and there's no one who knows it better than you. And the, and and the fantasy that's projected there, which is really—you know—it's a fantasy. It's aspirational. It's yeah. it's something to get excited about. So can you kind of help people out there who, you know, who are who they're kind of a little fashion phobic, and they don't really understand. That,
0: well, how you, you, know, you create I'm a, little, I'm a little fashion phobic. I'm always, I've always been more attracted to costume than to fashion.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And growing up in the sixties in London, of course, I wanted to look like everyone else. But you know, I wasn't five foot nine with straight blonde hair and really skinny legs, so I had to find a different way in. Um, I think that today one of the so-called victories of fashion is to have eliminated all the norms and all the shoulds and all the musts, which is why when you open a fashion magazine, you see ads for sheer net dresses to be worn over underwear so that your underwear can be seen. Dresses, ankle length, dresses that are transparent. No, this is not anything anybody should want to wear. Um, you know, there is certain kind of Platonic ideal of beauty guides to do with proportion, to do with shape. Everybody can look good. Everybody can find the thing that they look really fantastic in, um, but they won't necessarily find it through the ads in the fashion magazines.
1: Uh, absolutely. And and how can someone really find Find their own style. I I know for me, it's just, I think that a lot of it just comes from simply being aware. I think awareness is something that so many people just sort of shortchange themselves, and it's a, especially if you're running your own business, if you're if at a certain point in life when someone is saying, I feel old, I feel this, I feel that. I mean, life is just so much inspiration around you. And I think by just being aware and opening yourself up to everything that's there, the ideas just come to you if you allow them. And, you know, use life is sort well, of a kickstart. So how do you kind of get yeah, someone
0: with, to get that? It's very gift? much like like writing when I wrote, my memoir, The Price of Illusion. It started at 1,050 pages, and I yep. got it down. I wrestled and scraped that book down to 450 pages. I have words under my fingernails from how <laughs> hard I scraped it, the book. It's kind of the same thing with anything. I was trying to find what is what was the true story that I was trying to tell, but I had to start with all the material that I could pull together and put down on the page—it's kind of the same. Uh, it's kind of the same when you're looking for the clothing. I don't call it fashion. I think of it as you know the outer layer of the self. Hmm. This, what you're going to be wearing. I say, and I always say this: go to the sale racks. You know, I love the sale sale racks at Bergdorf's. Um. get a dressing room, jam that puppy so full, get in 30, 40, 50 different things, 60, give a day, give four hours to trying on everything you can lay your hands on. And out of all those things, there'll be a couple that actually look at yourself in the mirror and you look better than when you were wearing the thing before. <laughs> That's brilliant. It's but true. it's total trial and error, and and it's and the more things you bring in, like oh gee, hmm. oh God, no, I don't think you need a particularly developed eye to do this. You know, sometimes there's a wonderful old sales lady who will help you. Never bring a girlfriend; she'll get hungry, impatient, and competitive. <laughs> it's um, true. Don't.
1: Yeah, You know, don't
0: bring a man. You'll try and speed things up and only go for the sexy stuff. No. Do it alone. You're writing and rewriting your style. It'll take hours, but when you come out of that dressing room, you'll have one or two or three things that are kind of the templates for what you want to go after.
1: I, I agree with you. Like those harem pants, it's just, you know, I think you just, you buy what you gravitate to. You use magazines to stay relevant, to stay modern, to see what's in. Yeah. And you buy what you gravitate to. So when, when you were Listen, at... Listen,
0: I'm in Sarasota right now. I'm in, I'm in Florida on this tour because I'm doing something at the Sarasota Museum of Art. I am wearing a pair of the harem pants in blue. They're my <laughs> seaside version. <laughs>
1: Do you have a pair? You said you also, when you were in the country, you wear a lot of polar fleece. Do you have like an architect? Per- <laughs> do you have a pair you could wear with a little polar fleece jacket and kind of zhuzh up the country? No,
0: I don't. This is the thing. I respect. I've got 18 pairs. You know, we don't know what's happening with Turkey. I don't know how- <laughs> if my supply route of these trousers is going to be cut off. So I do respect them and what I wear with the polar tech. Oh, you wouldn't want to know. It's an Arcteric's pair of fleece-line climbing pants with a cigarette hole by the knee. I mean, they are really bad.
1: Well, I have a place in Wyoming, so I have this theory of, you know, what you wear in Jackson Hole, you leave in Jackson
0: Hole. (laughs) Well, this is it. And and it's funny because when I lived in Santa Fe, uh, I used to go hiking every morning with my boyfriend. And so I had all these various things to protect me from the elements. And when I moved to New York, I thought, oh, that's never going to happen again. But perhaps, you never know. And now in the Hudson Valley, all these things are having their day.
1: (laughs) The Hudson Valley is great. If people don't know it, it's it's um, upstate New York. It's not too far from the city, and it's I I love it. I mean, the Rhinebeck area is just so beautiful. I used to have a friend who lived up there, and I felt, felt really lucky to be there um, every weekend. And they have the oldest inn in America there. It's it's really just it's beautiful. Oh, they have they have one in every village. <laughs> yeah, there's <laughs> a lot of oldest. It's, it's like Cher yes. left concert tour. There's always another one. Exactly.
0: Shared George Washington shared bedrooms all over the Hudson Valley.
1: <laughs> so I want to ask you something else about, about style is that, you know, you were, you were known for having a single theme to every issue. And I know. A lot of the magazines,
0: just the Christmas have, issues.
1: Yeah, have the five things you have to wear for this, the five best things for this, uh-huh, the four best right. things for this, and a lot of times I know, you know, like when I created Focus on Style, sometimes we would do those posts, and it was kind of, it was really just SEO bait. I mean, because that's people wanted it. I never really, there's no five must-haves for anything, but. People ask, like, "What are the five things I have to buy this year?" And I'm like, oh, "Borker, yeah. be in your closet." You know, how do you like tell somebody who really needs that numeric, that guide of, you know, I have to make sure that I have every ingredient in my recipe?
0: Mm, such a good question because you know, who can be sure they're 24 hours in a day? <laughs> um, you know, numbers look really good on a cover, and, and they do attract people. Um, Okay, but I told you the cold was making me stupid. What was your question? <laughs> well, you
1: you oh were having that, you know, the single theme issues. I know yes. you have so many. Oh, yeah. yeah. So how does that, and, and I, I believe that, that fashion should have a, a single theme. And in that single theme, there's so many different ways you can go. And it's just, you know, it's just, it's. But as opposed to well, someone narrowing it down like I must have these five things this season. I must have these three three best things, you know, the, the two boots you have to have,
0: the five clothes. The oh right, no. Like, all like, and here's the point. You know, if you're gonna buy boots, it's better to buy two than one. Otherwise <laughs> okay. one, one foot will be really cold. <laughs> um um You know, there is, I wish there were a theme to fashion because when I was young, you know, Dolly Birds, we all, our mothers wore these stiff Courage dresses and we wore really, really short mini skirts and then the hippies came along and everybody was sort of, you know, fringy and slightly smelly. Mm
1: -hmm. But
0: there was this common context to fashion that went on and on and then sometime, I say in the 90s, because in my book I say fashion died and you know Logomania took over, and there I am wearing a raincoat made out of Louis Vuitton fabric, and I'm at a luggage carousel waiting for my bag at a luggage claim, and all the Louis Vuitton bags come around on the carousel, and I'm wearing my Louis Vuitton pattern raincoat, and I think, why did I want to wear look like luggage? So, <laughs> anyway, that's an aside side. But, you know, there is no common norm now. So you go to a party or you go to anything where or you look in the street. Everyone is dressed for a different movie, a different situation, a different drama, a different encounter. Um, you know, you have, oh, my God, for some reason, there's, there seems to be the moment, or maybe it was last summer, of the very thick denim jumpsuit with short sleeves mm-hmm. which doesn't look good on anybody. I mean no. it's not even good as cushion covers. <laughs> and yeah, it's that denim yeah, um, hard to wear. Yeah, it's and, and and then you know you you see magazine stories of like, oh spring break, you know, uh, fringe denim shorts. No, stop telling me about denim. I don't need magazines to tell me about denim. I need magazines to give me a context, a context in which, say, this year sheer net dresses to the ground would be unacceptable because you can't wear them because they're transparent and they're stupid. A context in which there would be an interesting way to dress for work, not just like a dress and jacket, uh, I don't even know how you dress to work. How do you dress to work?
1: Well, uh, That actually brings me to a quote that your mother told you that if my mother was still alive, she would probably tell me the same thing. And I wrote this down. So uh, This is how I dress for work. So here, let me tell you, when no one sees me, since my office, I have a loft, my office is here. I, I don't dress this way when I see a client or when I leave, but... Every day, your mother had said to you, it's in your book, darling, my mother said, remember you're going to have to wear shoes during the day, high heels every (laughs) single day. What about your nails? I'm barefoot right now. I have 200 pairs of shoes in my closet, and my nails always look like last week. But if you see me (laughs) when I'm not going Uh to my office, no, it's not the case. So, yeah, I'm totally – that's how I dress every day. (laughs) Okay, so
0: something really interesting has happened because people – you know, more and more people are working at home, mm-hmm. self-employed, freelance, all the, you know, all the web, cyber, everything, working from home. So more and more people are actually complete slobs when they're working because that's actually the easiest way to work. Your feet don't hurt. You know, your waistband doesn't chafe. You don't have to keep putting your lipstick on. You're just doing the work but the privacy of these separate pods that the cyber world and the cyber <laughs> cyber information and cyber employment has given us means that that kind of um that kind of unifying social thing everybody all the ladies in the pussycat bows mm. with their little suits that doesn't exist anymore so the same way that community has kind of vanished because of the internet Physical community. Right. The norms of physical community have also vanished because I know I do it in the country. I got to go out and do something. I throw on some very old Uggs. Of course, I haven't bought Uggs in 10 years, but there's some bronze colored Uggs hanging around. Yeah, I throw on the Uggs, and if I'm. <laughs> And some coat to run out and do something and I bump into somebody in the street. It doesn't matter what I look like. But to me, but I am not upholding the standards of what an older lady should look like when she is walking through a quaint village.
1: But I'm sure that you also are putting together your Uggs and your jacket, whatever pants, even if they were holy harem pants, whatever you're wearing. I'm sure you would have a certain bit of style, and I'm sure if this interview no. was right now face-to-face. No? Really? You don't think you have your own innate style yeah, in the way you put anything together? Even on the I sloppy don't
0: days? I do I mean... Um... I don't know. I've always liked wrapping my heads. I like a nice turban. You know, I like to have my ears warm. I didn't like having mumps when I was nine. <laughs> so I think a lot has to do with just one's physical relationship to oneself. You know, do you like tying belts around yourself? Do you like big, soft, easy things? I don't know about style. Sounds very much like uh talent uh you know if you have it you should shut up about it
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is true this is true but I, I and what I also think is a problem with a lot of people is like I know that when I'm writing I write best barefoot. it's just it's the way it is I you know when I'm out I want to be really nice shirts. Yeah but the same thing is I, what I, happens what, sorry
0: well, because if you're writing barefoot, if you feel like putting your foot on the table, it's okay.
1: It's okay, exactly. If I want
0: to sit right. up on the
1: couch, I'm sitting, I'm not ruining my good couch, exactly.
0: you know. Exactly, exactly. It's you all know, about it's- practice. Things in physical reality.
1: Yeah, it's, and also if I'm writing something that's about something more or less fancy, I want. I made sure I put makeup on that day. You know, otherwise, if I'm Thank if you. I'm doing something that's very techy, if it's a day I'm not wearing makeup and my hair is in a ponytail, it doesn't affect my my demeanor or my mood or anything else. But what I do know, and this is a problem for a lot of women, is like if you know, with this whole cyber virtual tech world, we have webcam meetings. We have people that pop up on our <sighs> computer every day. Exactly. And then I think it's still respect to the other person that you don't look like the Shrek of the Hepsburg, you know, that you pulled yourself together, that you know how to still look in your element, maybe not so done up. Maybe you're wearing jeans, but at least the part that someone sees looks professional. Do you agree with that? Just as a, a Sharon, business? I have one
0: answer to you. For what? You. What? <laughs> it's um, nice Thick piece of tape over your camera
1: (laughs) I know I actually have a black piece of tape over my camera just in case an audio accidentally becomes a video
0: (laughs) no it's um I, I have it's very funny the whole thing of presentation because the I think that our sense of privacy um It's weird. I I think that our sense of privacy has increased As more and more of us are working at home Mm -hmm. and, you know, looking like shit and leaving trails of crumbs everywhere and all the coffee cups and all that. Uh, we Then that extends to our houses, to the places where we live. So I found that when I was finishing The Price of Illusion, certainly the last year I was writing it, nobody was allowed to come and see me where I live. And certainly no video interaction of any kind because the place where I was working was as private as me in my check pajamas.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And and then one of the things that's so interesting is then you see people, and I, I agree, there's always this separation of church and state. But when your private world suddenly becomes public and you know it has to be, especially for your business, I think there's still a time when you need to, to clean it up. So when you're in working mode or writing mode, yeah. I mean, you go, I, yeah. we all go into caves when we start writing because I think right, that's exactly. the only way to get, get in touch with the words. So we just have a couple of minutes left and, and we haven't really spent that much time talking about a the price of illusion, but I want to go over a few things with you, and, and just you know, everyone, you're going to have to absolutely pick up this book. It's just wonderful. There are so many incredible stories, and and Joan has had such a I hate using the word colorful, but you have had a colorful it life. Is really colorful, yeah. So, I mean, is there anything you want to tell us first on here, or a little bit of a story, or a little uh, a little tale that you want to leave the audience with, and then we can go over. Some tips that you may have on how they could make their life more amazing this week?
0: Well, um huh. I you know, I think your life decides to be amazing. Basically your life is this animal you have to deal with that sometimes it behaves and sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> <That's genius. laughs> and yeah, you know, sometimes it's gonna give you amazing stuff and sometimes it's gonna kick you in the butt. And you can't tell. Um to actually pick out one anecdote from the book I I my mind of course goes blank, helped by this stupid that I picked up in earlier. Um what is important? You know, the important the most important thing basically is kindness. Those are the things that that touch other people, those are the things that touch you. But uh the only job I ever really wanted was features editor of British Vogue <clears throat> because if I did that I could stay close to my parents world of famous people and movies and fancy stuff and I didn't wouldn't have to put in the work of being a true artist and risking failure. If I was a features editor of Vogue I could just you know report on all the movies and the plays and the exhibitions and the books and be kind of safe. And I think the big lesson to me was that the real work is not about staying safe. It's about actually taking risks, huge risks. And that's what transforms you. But Absolutely. just fooling around in the margins is, um, you know, you'll just stay marginal.
1: <laughs> yeah, and there's a lot of people who... Really are quite marginal, which is another word for mediocre, because they're afraid to to take a risk. And you know, we take a risk every day. We cross the street and put off put off the curb. So just yeah. think, take big ones in life and get big rewards, and sometimes not so much. And that becomes part of you.
0: Yeah, I, somebody, a, a writer friend of mine, a great writer friend of mine, said not so long ago, the worst. Stuff that happens to you becomes your gold. Yeah. And and it's true because it really reveals you know, it reveals where you had it wrong, it reveals life in a new way. It teaches you lessons you didn't particularly want to learn, but there they are, you have to learn them. And then you can build on that. Um it's like that thing, you know, when a whole lot of nice things are happening to you one after the other and you start holding your breath yeah. so that you don't change all the niceness that's coming your way.
1: It's like, when is the shoe going to drop?
0: <laughs> yeah, but you're holding your breath yeah. like, oh, maybe you can prolong this. And then you're not thinking, you're not really thinking things through because maybe if you think things through, you'll stop the magic. Yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah. The ideal is to be as clear headed in success as you are in failure.
1: (laughs) That's a good quote.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's a pretty good one. It just came out,
1: isn't it? It is a good one. Write that down. I'm gonna write I'm gonna bold that one in the transcript. (laughs) All right, Joan Juliet Buck, thank you so much for being here today. It really was quite an honor. And and I can't tell everyone enough to please read the price of illusion. memoir, especially if you're someone who, you know, you have a side interest in fashion or being, it really takes away, I mean, fashion is a job, and there's a lot of, and you said, the thing you said is, you know, one of the most important things to you is kindness, and fashion is really not known as a kind industry, that's for
0: sure. But also, this book is, is important for people who have a mother, or a father, or an uncle, or things that go bump in the night, or roommates who disappear, And are found dead. I mean, it's like it's a lot of stuff in (laughs) this, especially the latter. (laughs) No, there's a lot. There's
1: a lot of stuff in there. You have, and and even just going back also on times and things that are happening from when you started out in London in the '60s to Paris when it was in the edge. And you mentioned during that bomb era in Paris, I was there. Then it was pretty scary. Um, And you know, just
0: Oh what the bomb.
1: yeah, the bombs were pretty, every other day, wherever I left. Yeah, there would be a bomb there the next day. And I'm like, Oh, my God, there's was something like nine bombs in 11 days or something like it, it was crazy. Uh-huh.
0: Um, that winter of 86. Yeah,
1: it was just really crazy. I'm glad you said that. Because I was talking to my friend, we couldn't remember what year that was the winter of 86. You're absolutely uh-huh. right. Um, yeah. And yeah, I just it's if you have, you've had a, a fabulous life. And I think that not many of us have been able to really have a life that's had just such diversity and such highs and lows and interesting things that so many people just dream about and you've lived it and you've shown both sides of it in the book. So I really encourage people to read the price of illusion by Joan Juliet Buck. And um, thank you so much for being
0: here today. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. You're very welcome. And remember, new (laughs) Istinye Mall, Istanbul.
1: Can you spell the name of that mall? Do they have it?
0: Istinye. Yeah, I S T I N Y E. Okay. Istinye. We're close to 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 it. Yeah, (laughs) but that's the thing. Lovely to meet you. Lovely to be on your show. Thank you. Same here.
1: Thank you very much. Bye bye. Okay.
0: Okay, bye bye. That's a wrap. Well, not so fast. Don't forget to hop over to FocusOnStyle.com for exclusive content to help you live your most amazing life with style and success. For even more great stuff that Sharon only shares by email, subscribe to her In The Know list at www.FocusOnStyle.com slash insiders. See you next time.